Hi, and welcome to Between the Rows. My name's Dave, and I'll be your host this week. It's the week after Canola Week, so it seems only logical, well, to me anyway, that we're talking about canola today. Of course, that's got to include a report from the Canola Week Industry Conference up in Saskatoon. Basically, there's a lot of opportunity for expansion of acres or for um, creating new varieties of canola with um, an, an additional oil content. And it's been a weird couple of weeks for canola on the ICE futures market, so we'll try and sort out what's going on there. What goes up must come down, and what goes down must bounce back up. I, uh, I suppose the adage held true in this case. That's what's up on Between the Rows, right after this. Save money, make money with AGI Nico dryers. AGI Nico Mixed Flow Screenless Dryers provide one to two pounds heavier test weight per bushel and require less maintenance than screen dryers. Stainless steel fuel trains mean no rust or corrosion to worry about. AGI Nico Dryer Manager puts remote management and monitoring in your hands. And with 30% in fuel savings, you'll save on every load. That's money in your pocket. Visit aggrowth.com Nico for more info. That's aggrowth.com slash Nico. So this past week saw the return of Canola Week, which is sort of a confederation of what used to be three separate events, the Canola Industry Meeting, uh, Canola Innovation Day, and Canola Discovery Forum. As, as the names of all those events imply, the broader focus of Canola Week is on innovation and research and keeping everyone's eyes on the segments of greatest opportunity for canola. And into all this went Alexis Kinlan. She's a reporter for Alberta Farmer Express out of Edmonton. She's back from Canola Week in Saskatoon, and she joined us now. Alexis, hi, and welcome back to Between the Rows. Hi, thank you for having me. So um, may I just say I'm dying of jealousy over here. Saskatoon, in my opinion, is a lovely city. Uh, every time I'm back in that part of the mother province, I, I never get to spend as much time as, uh, as I'd like in in Saskatoon or, well, I mean, any of the places I go into in Saskatchewan, I never get to spend all the time I'd like, really. But uh, um, seeing as I'm still you know, spending most of my working days uh, in cyberspace, I've, I've got to ask, you know, wh what's it like out in the real world? Um, well, it was really nice. This was uh, my first convention since the con since conferences got shut down in March 2020 when I attended the Canadian Corops Convention in Vancouver. That was my last conference. And so it was really lovely to go to Canola Week in Saskatoon in my hometown. Hmm. There was about 150 people in attendance. Uh, attendance was capped. There was a virtual segment so people could watch in and there was also virtual presentations. So they played videos from speakers all over the world. One was in Australia, one was in Germany. There was just a number of people presenting from all over. So it was, it was a kind of really nice taste. And um, I think that there's going to be in some forms, maybe not all conferences, but I think we're going to continue to see some kind of hybrid conferences and, and virtual and non-virtual going forward. Mm -hmm. I did. I got to admit, I did wonder, you know, whether uh, where people were offering the virtual option to attend a, a, an actual physical conference, whether people were just going to not buy tickets, not bother to travel and would just, you know, sort of stay home and observe in their sweatpants. I think there was a bit of that, but I think people were also wanting to gather and see each other, especially since it's, it's been a while now. 
Mm-hmm. So with uh, with the uh, with with the conference now with with sustainability being you know sort of the uh, the operant word in or the, at least the the, the biggest buzzword i think in agriculture these days not to mention in other sectors as well uh you know that that seems to be what uh what informed a lot of the topics that they had on tap for uh, for canola week i mean from from where from where you sit was that a fair assessment i would say definitely um i mean there was a lot of talk about research and development there was also a lot of talk about precision agriculture um, there's there was uh, panels focused directly on climate change, and one of my favorites was uh, how crops will react to climate change. Hmm. Um, and then there was, uh, yeah, like some some panels on, uh, you know, a big panel on um, biodiesel, renewable diesel kind of thing. So yeah, I would say sustainability was definitely um, on the minds and in the focus of this conference for sure. Mm-hmm. What, what can you tell us about developments in, in renewable diesel? Now, now you, you got to keep in mind here though, that I'm, you know, personally, I'm still at the stage where I'm getting uh, renewable diesel and biodiesel confused. So uh, please proceed on that basis. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to give you the definition from what I learned um, at, from Christopher Vett. He's the executive director of the Canadian Oil Seeds Processors Association. Okay. Um, and he said that biodiesel is produced by blending fuels. So there's limitations to how much biodiesel can be blended which, with how much fossil diesel, whereas renewable diesel uses a process that essentially produces a product at the end that is chemically identifiable to fossil diesel and that you can use it in t- interchangeably with fossil diesel. So I guess there's like one way, one is biodiesel is blended and renewable is just kind of transformed. So uh, it's been interesting to uh, to see what our you know our colleagues over at Markets Farm have been reporting lately on uh, the rises and falls in canola and soybean futures, and you know that they, that they seem to be getting sort of more and more tied up with uh, with those of crude oil. I mean, it used to be that you know you'd hear about that with corn and ethanol and whatnot, but uh, nowadays with uh, with canola and soy as well. Um, you know, what uh, what uh, what was sort of the buzz about uh, renewable diesel there? I mean, I know there's uh, there's uh, there's been discussion uh, Imperial Oil talking about uh, building a renewable renewable diesel plant not far from where you are actually in Edmonton there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is going to be a facility in Strathcona County. Um, and then there's going to be, you can really see that there's a lot of interest by how many um, facilities are going to pop up. There's going to be an FCL uh, facility in Saskatchewan, I think near Regina. Mm. And then um, another facility in southeastern Saskatchewan. And then we've got a facility coming on at Prince George and another one in Burnaby that is already already running some co-processing. So it's a different kind of method of blending fuels. Um, and then one heading to Quebec and another, uh, which will be produced in Newfoundland, another facility which will be based out in Newfoundland. So yeah, we're going to have a lot of renewable diesel facilities across the country. So that's mm-hmm. kind of an indicator of where you know the market's going to go. So what what did the attendees at the conference uh, what 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 are they making of uh, renewable diesel what uh, what's what sort of the buzz there going forward? Um, well, some people were wondering if it was just going to be like if uh, renewable diesel would overshadow um, canola's use for food and for you know feed for animals, but that's not going to be the ta- the case. Um, renewable diesel is still going to be the third the third use for canola. 
And basically there's a lot of opportunity for expansion of acres or for um, creating new varieties of canola with um, an, an additional oil content. So I think, you know, people are just excited by the opportunities they see in canola. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the other thing with uh, with uh, the you know the the widespread use of uh, renewable fuels or or you know any any sort of biofuels for that matter as well, it, it also depends on the hand of government in in mandating that use. Now, um, I know that this was a topic of some discussion there as well. What, what kinds of roles did the folks at this conference see uh, government policies playing in the uh, in the canola industry going forward? Um, I don't know if it's so much as for the canola industry, just as so much as for the fuel industry and mandates that are set by governments. Um, So mandates in in Canada and the United States will really affect what happens in fuel standards in the next few years. Um, So there are mandates attached to low carbon fuel standards, but mandates will Basically, the mandates that will be important will that are those that will require that fossil fuels like diesel needs to reduce carbon intensity by an amount, and um, for, like uh, renewable diesel, like a, a diesel like with used with canola, reduces um, greenhouse gas emissions or a carbon foot. It reduces a carbon f- footprint by ninety percent. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of uh, potential there by using biofuels to reduce a carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like federal clean fuel regulation and provincial low carbon fuel standards, um, they were really set the drivers for what's going to happen in biofuels. Okay. Well, it sounds like the folks in the industry have a lot to say about the, about uh, just sort of the state status of it going forward. Now, uh, what about, what about farmers themselves? I mean, did, did, did they, uh, were, were farmers themselves out in full force at this conference or? Actually, there weren't a lot of farmers that attended this conference. It was more industry people, but there were farmers that were there who were, um, for example, um, I know some farmers who sit on the research boards of some of the provincial organizations. So they were there from a research standpoint. Um, But the one day that farmers did show up, there was a panel on precision agriculture. And so a group of three farmers from Saskatchewan came to talk about the precision agriculture that they're using on their farms. Oh, that's exciting. What uh, what did they have to say on the matter? Um, one was using robotics to check his rows, which was kind of interesting. And another was using optical spot spray. Um, another woman was talking about how she uses a lot of mapping because around the farm where they, they're farming in areas that are really rocky. So they need to map where the rocks are so that when they're um, going over things with a header or you're just going over the area that they aren't running into rocks. So I found this kind of interesting and it was just, uh, there's basically two reasons why farmers are using these kind of uh, technological developments on their farm. Um, And those reasons are time and efficiency. And well, there's actually a few more reasons. There's also um, money, economic, and, and just cutting down on the labor. And also just environmental impacts too, by not spraying, in places that don't need it or that kind of thing, like just a wide variety of what reasons why people are using this kind of precision agriculture technology. Mm-hmm. And now just to, to get back to uh, what you mentioned about environmental concerns for a second, uh, you did mention before that uh, there was uh, some discussion there about, uh, you know, sort of adaptation of, uh, of canola production uh, in the face of climate change. Uh, what, uh, what's, 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 what's sort of the future going forward there? 
Um, I would say that 4R was discussed a lot. I can't remember all that 4R stands for. It's like right way, right place, right time, right method or something like that. Um, that sounds about right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're discussing the 4R method. They're really expecting and hoping that more people pick it up. I also know that there's the on-farm climate action funds, which are uh, distributed differently per province. And they, um, they, those will be something that people can use to um, just kind of check out their fertilizer use. I know a lot of people, like just having, from my regular work, having talked to people, people are looking at ways to cut costs, which in turn will also cut some, in some ways will also cut emissions too, just depending on the method used. So there's, there's a whole bunch of things that people are thinking about. Hmm. And, you know, lastly, we do, you know, we do hear a lot about the, you know, the value and the price of canola these days. I mean, last I looked uh, just a few minutes ago, I mean, uh, ICE January canola was up over like 870 bucks a ton. But, you know, with the cost of production being what they are, though, you know, a lot of farmers these past few years are saying that these are the most expensive crops they've ever produced. I mean, you know, just looking at, um, you know, even with the uh, even with the 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 uh, the advancements that we're, we're taught, we've been talking about here uh, and the demand that we've been talking about here, I mean, is the is the impetus still there from what you could tell to 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 keep canola production at at really at a respectable level um well i guess there's kind of a biased crowd since you know it was canola week so people are Mm -hmm. really that canola is that there's a lot of good stuff going for canola now that um there is a bright a bright bright future in canola and uh, a lot of reasons to to uh to continue with it and that there are you know possibly good times ahead with canola. I don't have a crystal ball, but it sounds like there is going to be some interesting markets out there for canola. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like uh, it's it sounds like it was uh, definitely an exciting week and we're definitely looking forward to uh to uh seeing more of your coverage from uh, from this in the uh, in the weeks uh, in the weeks ahead in uh, in Alberta Farmer and in our, in our other pubs. Alexis, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dave. Alexis Kinlan is a reporter for Alberta Farmer Express in Edmonton, and uh, you're listening to Between the Rows. I'm your host this week, Dave Bedard. So if you've been following the commodity charts in the past few weeks, you'll have noticed a kind of a mini drama going on in canola. Now, I say mini not to minimize whatever's going on. Uh, it's because there is there is a whole lot of volatility going on in the past few weeks, but you know, sort of within a rather uh, limited margin or within a limited range of motion. And here to talk us through that, we have Phil Franz Workington from Glacier Markets Farm. Phil, hi, and uh, welcome back to Between the Rows. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. So it's been a little while since we've had a chance to uh, chat about canola markets and canola futures on this show. Now, if we go back like to a couple, three weeks ago, now we see canola uh, over the period of about eight days uh, drop down from about near $900 a ton down to near $810. Then in fits and starts, it's been climbing back up since then. You know, I, I guess if we start with the drop, what's what's the perception of what happened there? Yeah, the um, I guess it was a maybe evening of positions would be a, a one way to put it. Basically, canola had gotten very expensive uh, relative to uh, uh, its uh, relative to other other competing oilseed markets. Um, the uh, so it was it was due for a correction lower in in that way. Um, but 
Um, so it was a lot of, uh, so while canola was going down, soy oil was doing other stuff and it was very, um, yeah, a lot of adjusting of positions and back and forth and kind of, you know, it's not quite the year end, but year end positioning, but yeah, like you said, it is, um, you know, it fell to $800. It's back now looking at the March contract around 850, when we're talking, uh, now, but, um, yeah, so 800 to $900, uh, that's been the range going back to, uh, July, basically it's, uh, been kind of chopping around in there. So it has been seeing these large price moves as speculators either, come in on the one side or go out and uh, they're basically playing the, the, the market and, uh, you know, going back and forth and uh, as they square positions one way or the other and play it against the soy markets and other oil seed markets. But um, yeah, overall it's, uh, yeah, there's been the volatility, but if you look at it with a wider lens, it's a fairly st- straight um, you know, range bound trade, you know, that range is a hundred dollars, but it is, it is in a range when we're talking $900, that that's not a, that large of a percentage move that we're, we're seeing. Now, were there, were there any outside events that uh, sort of led it to, uh, to, to, to get to, to get that support up from down off that low near the $800 mark? Uh, I'm just looking at, uh, I've just got the chart up right now and, uh, it's uh, March canola right now is at eight seventy six thirty. This is a Tuesday afternoon, by the way, as we speak. So just for yeah. for uh, for those who uh, for for those uh, for those just tuning in, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the January at eight seventy six, and the the March is eight fifty eight, and the, right. yeah, the January and the March. The you know we're only a few weeks away from January, so it is. It's getting to that point where things often will get weird in the front month as uh, people try to exit and get out of it before before it uh, expires. We're not quite there yet, but with the holidays and all that, uh, that could lead to some excitement there. But but yeah, overall, they're both uh, still fairly range-bound. And, uh, um, you know, as far as bouncing off of that low, it was just... Uh, yeah, probably a matter of yeah, was it eight days in a low of losses? What goes up must come down, and what goes down must bounce back up. I uh, I suppose the adage held true in this case. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking back. I don't think there was anything like really particular that stands out as far as at that point. Uh, I'm just looking at the chart here in front of me. So that kind of turnaround came in late. November, um, and now we've been trending higher for most of you know most of December. There's a few, uh, you know, a couple of days up, uh, you know, one day down, and then we go back up. But it, the trend is it's moving higher overall. Um, part of that is you know it's seasonally this time of year selling often sort of fades away a bit, and it'll pick back up uh, after the holidays, and so then we could see it uh, dip back down as we hold in this sideways range. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of the, uh, um, it doesn't doesn't line up with the chart, but in recent weeks we've had um, Statistics Canada came out with their official production number. They pegged it, uh, the crop, about a million tons lower than had had the original 
spots. So, you know, a million less tons of canola around that uh, tightens the balance sheet up and uh, it would be a supportive influence. Um, Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And uh, um, the other thing, the other thing to keep in mind there too, it was interesting with the StatsCan report. That was the first one of this. That's the, been the first one in a few months that's uh, that was also survey based as opposed to uh, as opposed to based on uh, satellite uh, on computer modeling and satellite imagery. Am I right? Yeah, everything else this year has been uh, their satellite model based uh, um, guesses, for lack of a better word. Um, that uh, they had they've been working on that. Introducing the uh, the satellite models, that, you know, before the pandemic, but with the uh, uh, pandemic, uh, that really seemed to sort of heighten their movements. Um, doing fewer surveys and um, relying on the models a bit more. So the, the the jury's still out amongst traders how much stock to put into those the uh, the non-surveyed numbers. Um, but yeah, this this was the first real official. I surveyed farmers and got their uh, numbers. So there's still uh, you know, adjustments could could still be coming down the line. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, USDA put out their own um, world supply demand numbers uh, just a couple of days ago, and they're still pegging the canola crop, uh, Canada's crop, at 19 million tons, whereas Stats can has it at around 18.1 million. So they're uh, they're not really trusting the uh, the survey data either there in the states. So uh, it'll be interesting where it plays out how much of a crop we actually have in the end. But uh, is there, you know, is there in, a- any, in any case, in any case, there's a lot more to go around than last year. But it's only a certain uh, the the sense seems to be that the the domestic crush will, you know, go full steam ahead. The uh, crush margins are still very wide and very profitable for them, and the uh, where exports ends up will depend on how much available surplus we have to export. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in terms of uh, domestic crush and whatnot, uh, when we uh, also on the show this week, we've been talking to uh, Alexis Kinlan from Alberta Farmer. Uh, she just got back from Canola Week. There was uh, some discussion about uh, uh, renewable diesel markets and new plants being built uh, here in Canada to uh, to use uh, canola and soybeans for uh, for that market. Um, the one thing I have noticed is just that uh, with oil seasons, there seems to be um, a fair amount of uh, it seems to be much more closely tied to uh, the fortunes of crude oil than it used to be is it is it fair to say that canola is uh, is linked in on that or is it uh, is there still some uh, some independence there from uh, from what uh, from what crude oil is doing the, well there's definitely a correlation between the crude oil and the vegetable oil markets um you know canola has its whole healthy oil vegetable oil there's you know that market that that's not going away so the the oil biodiesel basically provides a floor uh for the market um so yes what uh what crude oil is doing and in turn uh, biofuels definitely has an influence on the canola market um just uh, a week or two ago there was um news out of the US on their biodiesel fuel requirements and uh basically the, the sentiment was whatever they were I, I forget the exact wording but the 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 plans they had on biodiesel weren't going to use as much soy oil as originally thought so that caused the 
big drop in soy oil and then usually whatever happens in soy oil is, is very uh, you know even more closely related to the canola market than the crude oil market so that was uh, uh, did weigh on canola prices a bit but at the same time uh, that that also came as when we were doing the opposite of them for a while as well so it's not always it's not always a one to one but it is uh, uh there's definitely a relationship there and something to uh uh keep an eye on and yeah in the western canada there's been a lot of talk in the you know relatively recently on all these new plants that are going to be uh coming up uh for creating renewable fuels and yeah, the, mm-hmm. the where the numbers are now, it, it looks profitable. So, yeah. So, what it, what what's it going to take? Looking at the uh, getting back to the question of uh, the canola canola values and uh, the current range that they're stuck in, uh, what's it going to take for canola to to sort of break out of this eight to nine hundred dollar range? Either way, I mean, you know, or or should we even be complaining if it doesn't? The um, you know, it, it doesn't. You don't have to go back very far when eight to nine hundred dollars was historically high and uh, uh, mm-hmm. these crazy prices for canola, right? Um, so um, I think right now, uh, the, as far as the canola market itself is concerned, that seems to be a comfortable range. It's been there for uh, yeah since July, so what five six months right now. Um, so it, it'll take it'll take something outside of the own canola specific story. So um, you know whether that's you know something with China or something with the, the war in Ukraine or some other catalyst. Um, and South America is growing their next crops now. So weather concerns down there something to keep an eye on. There's a drought in Argentina and. Uh, Brazil is relatively good shape right now, but things could always change. So uh, I, but, I gather uh, Australia was uh, was uh, just had uh, some some uh, fairly good data, some fairly healthy data as far as the size of their canola crop this year as well, didn't they? Yeah, they're predicting a record large canola crop, so that's uh, um, you know good for them. The bearish for prices as far as Canadian prices go, they're a lot closer to uh, the Asian markets, uh, many Asian markets compared to us. So. A uh, good chunk of their larger canola crop will uh, be competing with ours on the export market. So that's um, uh, I don't think they've they've harvested it. You know, the, their weather there can be crazy sometimes. So that's certainly anything true. Could happen, but the uh, the um, they're they're looking at the yeah they're calling it a, a record large canola crop, a big wheat crop too. Um, so that would be um, yeah definitely uh, uh, something overhanging things you know one one reason why uh, a return to eight hundred dollars would be more likely than a test of nine hundred um, but at, at the same time right now we're moving closer to the nine hundred and eight hundred so so one we'll way see. or the one way or the other but the, the but uh, the the uh, but the balance of probabilities favors the favors the a, a down a, a sort of a downward a gradual downward motion eventually um eventually yeah I, I would i would think so mm-hmm. um but yeah don't hold me to that because no. <laughs> there, there, there's a, there's uh yeah many, many outside uh influences that could you know provide a catalyst mm-hmm. that would easily easily take it back up again and we'll certainly be uh, it was not that, that sorry it's not that long ago we were at a thousand dollars so the uh, but that was uh Back in the last spring, when uh, 
we're still dealing with the drought crop of the previous year. Mm-hmm. And we'll certainly be watching out for those catalysts as the uh, as the next few weeks and months go by. Phil, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Phil Franz Workington is a reporter for Glacier, Glacier Markets Farm in Winnipeg. You're listening to Between the Rows. I'm your host this week, Dave Bedard. that's our time for now, but we'll be back here next week with your pre-holiday entertainments. I'd like to thank our guests, Alexis Kinlan and Phil Franz Workington, and of course you for loading up this episode of Between the Rows. I've been your host this week, Dave Bedard. Thanks for listening. Save money, make money with AGI Nico Dryers. AGI Nico Mixed Flow Screenless Dryers provide one to two pounds heavier test weight per bushel and require less maintenance than screen dryers. Stainless steel fuel trains mean no rust or corrosion to worry about. AGI Nico Dryer Manager puts remote management and monitoring in your hands. And with 30% in fuel savings, you'll save on every load. That's money in your pocket. Visit aggrowth.com Nico for more info. That's aggrowth.com Nico.